Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. I grew up in the 1950s, 1960s. And one of my favorite things to do as a little kid was on Saturdays to go to the movies and see John Wayne and Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas! And Burt Lancaster and all those guys. Those guys that just, they just were heroes on the big screen. And one of my favorite movies when I was a kid that I didn't get to go see at the theater, but they played on TV because it was made the year I was born about, was Gunfight at the OK Corral. Man, that was a good one. And they've remade that several times, but nothing matches that original where you have those heroes coming together and standing against evil. I just, just love that movie. You have this standoff where two forces come together, two opposites, and they just have it out. I almost called this morning's sermon shootout at Antioch, but I figured that probably wouldn't go over very well. But we have two leaders of the early church coming together and literally butting heads together where Paul confronts Peter and challenges him on something he was doing in his life. Well, let's look at Galatians chapter 2. Verse 11, it's not a shootout, okay? But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul is writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We're going to stop there. We may come back to verse 14 next week and spend some time on that. But just to underscore what Paul is saying to Peter, bottom line, the title of the message, you need to walk the talk. You need to live what you say you believe. There are so many lessons in this passage, and I've just tried to pull five applications out for us today to see how we could apply this truth of this this confrontation at Antioch with our lives today. And Paul, remember, is telling the story. He's telling his life story, his history of how God had been at work in his life. And he's trying to let them know, the, right, the people of the Galatian province, that salvation is by grace through faith and grace alone. That you don't add anything to Jesus. So he's telling the story of how when he was in Antioch, Peter came there. And they had a confrontation. And they ta- He went to Antioch and met Peter. They had a confrontation about how Peter was living. So let's unpack this and look at some truths. Number one, 
Wrong living contradicts right theology. Let that one sink in for a minute. Wrong living will contradict right theology. It doesn't matter how right you are theologically in your understanding, in your teaching, in your preaching, in your explanation of the truths of God's word. It doesn't matter how accurate that is. If you have a lifestyle that doesn't back that up, you're contradicting the truth. That's pretty strong, isn't it? But that's what happens. That's what happened with Peter. Paul says, look, Peter, you stood with me in Jerusalem when, 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 I, when I brought Titus there and they said, it's grace alone. You stood with me when we proclaimed salvation is in Jesus only. Now you go up there to Antioch and you're with the Gentiles and when you're with them, it's cool. But when those Judaizers, remember, the party of the circumcision, people that said you had to be circumcised plus Jesus to get into heaven. When they show up, Peter, you back away from the Gentiles and you act like you don't want to have fellowship with them. And what you're doing, Peter, is you're preaching a lie. You know the truth. You believe the truth. You stand on the truth. But now you're not living it. You're contradicting what you believe. I don't know who first said this, but I've said it for years, so I'm going to say it. It's mine now. Okay? You know, the first time you quote someone, you give their name. You say, so-and-so said. The second time you quote them, you say, I've heard it said. And the third time you quote them, you said, you know, I've always thought. So here we are. I've always thought what we live is what we believe. Everything else is just religious talk. What we live is what we believe. Everything else is just religious talk. Let that what sink in, Coastal Okies. I didn't think of that one. Somebody else did. I can tell you how fundamental I am in my doctrine, how orthodox I am in the truth of everything I believe about the virgin birth and the atoning work of Christ. I can, I can hammer that away. But if I live a lifestyle that contradicts that, something's not right. That's just a bunch of talk. I've shared the story before about the man who was so adamant about the King James Bible, yet at the same time he said, you know, I don't really tithe, but I know I should. I said, you're telling me that the Bible says to do that, and he could show me where it said it in the King James and I said, okay, that's good. Now, you're not living it, though. He said, well, yeah, I just can't right now. So really, what he believed wasn't what the Bible said. What he believed was what he was living out. It will contradict good theology. Here's a question. What kind of message are you sending? What kind of message are you sending to people who interact with you every day, every week? What are you saying to them about what you believe? Well, I go to Coastal Oaks. And I read my Bible. No, but what are you living? What do they see every single day of your life? What kind of message are you sending? Well, I read a story this week about a man, just broke my heart. A man about my age who was still struggling with, with issues in his life about obedience and about faith. And his story, he said, let me just tell you my story. And he, he, was, he was sharing a story. What he said was when he was a kid, he went to a very, very conservative church that didn't believe in going to Hollywood movies. I wouldn't have made it, but anyway. That was the stance of the church, and you know what? If that's the stance of a church, that's good for them, that's fine, and I, I will respect that. But here's what he said about his church. They preached against going to movies. In fact, every week they would have people who would come and confess, I went to the movies, and they'd pray over them, and you know, that kind of thing. It was that, was that big a deal in that church. 
Well, he said his parents on Friday and Saturday night would leave that little town they lived in and go down the road with the kids and watch movies. I'm sure they weren't bad movies, probably Disney, you know, Cinderella and, and Pinocchio and all that stuff. Am I dating myself again? Um, and they would go, and in the car on the way back from the movies, the parents would say, don't say a word at church about us going to the movies. You don't let anybody know we went to the movies. So that kid went to church with his parents and saw his parents saying they believed something, yet living something different. And that guy's an adult and he's still messed up. Because he saw someone say they believed this, but they lived another way. I don't know how many of us that would apply to. You saw it lived, you saw it outside in the church circles said, but when you got back home and the doors were closed, you saw something else lived. Surveys have been done looking at pastor's kids. I, I read one survey. They, they studied like 20 years worth of pastor's kids. I think I've shared this before. Well, I know I've shared it before, but it's good. <laughs> and they interviewed the pastor's kids who walked with the Lord in their 20s and 30s. And they said, why are you still walking with the Lord? And they said, well, because it was a genuine relationship with the Lord and we saw it and blah, blah, blah. So they went to these kids who weren't walking with the Lord, who, who turned their back on the church, turned their back on the Lord, and were just living in the world. They said, what happened? The bottom line, common denominator of all these kids who turned their back on the Lord and turned their back on the church, they said, my parents lived one thing at church and something different at home. Now, most of those stories were not my parents were evil, wicked, terrible people, but my parents put on a, a face at church. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, isn't Jesus good? Good to see you, brother. You know, the, the, the pastors all have the head bob. You know the pastor's head bob? You got to do that. God bless you, you know. They saw that taking place at church, and then they got home, and dad complained about the deacons, or mom complained about the ladies, or they, saw, they heard the yin yin yin. Inconsistency. You know what those kids needed to see? They needed to see maybe mom and dad being honest at home and mom and dad being honest at church. That's not always easy to do, is it? Number one, wrong living contradicts right theology. I hope you're not doing that. Number two, hypocrisy can get the best of us. Hypocrisy can get the best of us. In verse 12. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, or those from the church in Jerusalem, those Judaizers, prior to those folks showing up, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. By the way, eating with the Gentiles meant intimate, close acceptance, and a close relationship with those people. That's why Jesus was, was hated by the Pharisees, because he ate with, you look, go through your New Testament, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. He ate with them. What did that mean? It meant that he got right in their home and was very comfortable with them and he accepted them. So Paul says, Peter, when the Gentiles were there, you accepted them, you ate with them, but then you feared the party of the circumcision. You, peered, you feared what those Jews from Jerusalem would say about you, so you withdrew yourself. He withdrew it to hold himself aloof away from them, fearing the party of the circumcision. Look at verse 13. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. Did Paul have to use that word there? 
hypocrisy. With the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Peter, one of, if not the key apostle in the early church, fell victim to hypocrisy. Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man through some of his missionary journeys, a leader in the church, fell victim to hypocrisy, and then others followed suit. Listen, folks, hypocrisy can get the best of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your responsibility is. It can get the best of us, but also it can get the best of us. You follow that? It can take over our lives and become who we are. The word hypocrite literally means under actor. Under actor. My best application of that is is in the days where you would go to a play, like a Shakespearean play, and they would hold up the popsicle stick with the face on it, you know? You know what I'm talking about. Where you had this card and you could turn it and you could be someone else. Turn it one way and your smiley face, turn it the other way and your frown. That's acting underneath this facade. This is not who I am. I've been a Christian since I was 18 years old. And I, let me tell you, after you're in the church a little while, it doesn't take long before you can figure out how you're supposed to look and sound and even act on the outside. And you, you pull up into church and you, you know it's terrible at home and the kids are cranky and they don't want to go to church and you're dragging and, and it's, you know, you just have all that stuff and your diaper bags and just all the car seats and all that stuff. And you just come to church and you're like, what an ordeal just to get here. But you pull in the parking lot and you're about to get out of the car and you... Here we go. Hi, how are you? Fine. <laughs> Not really. We have one man in our church, so I ask him, how are you? He says, you don't want to know. <laughs> but we, we have learned how we can put it on to where people look at us and it looks like everything's okay. Someone said there's three kinds of believers in a church. Believers, unbelievers, and make-believers. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Hypocrites. It can get the best of us. Be careful about looking at somebody else and saying their life doesn't measure up. Like the pastor that used to point out, and he said, yeah, but you'll notice when I point out people, I've got three fingers pointing back at me. Be careful about judging others with hypocrisy. Zig Ziglar said he'd invited a friend to go to church with him, and the man answered, well, I'd like to go to your church, but it's full of hypocrites. And Zig said, no, it isn't. We've got room for one more. Come on. By the way, this is, this is an aside. One thing that keeps people from coming to church sometimes is they think we've got it all together and we're perfect. And we want to be as in tune with the Lord and to present a consistent walk with Him, but sometimes what people see is we're just perfect and they could never measure up. That is not true. We are a bunch of imperfect people, fallen, who have sinned, but who've been redeemed by the grace of God. That's important. Hypocrisy can get the best of us. At Pumpkin Patch every year, some of you dress up 
like clowns. And then you walk up to me and you just look at me. Like, guess who I am? And I just look at these clowns and I say, you're a clown. That's, what, that's who you are. And after a while, you kind of look beyond the eyes and look in there and I think I know who you are, but I'm not sure. It's amazing how some of y'all can dress up in those clown makeup garbs and look like a totally different person than you really are. Because some of you, you dress up like a clown and you just nail it. That's who you really are, so that's good. <laughs> By the way, Pumpkin Patch here at Coastal Oaks is not a celebration of Halloween. It is our alternative. What we want to say to the community is don't celebrate Halloween. Okay, you've said that. Now, what are you going to do for me? We're going to give you an alternative. Here's a family-friendly place you can come. So just, that's just an aside, too. And they put the makeup on. When people show up in costumes, it's so you have to guess who's really underneath the makeup, who's underneath the costume. Let's don't make people guess who's underneath this facade. Let's just let them see who we are. And by the way, that's not easy. Have you learned that? It's not easy being real. Because when you're real, then you're vulnerable. Hypocrisy can get the best of us. Number three, third truth, accept others the way Christ accepted you. Accept others the way Christ accepted you. Again, it's so simple in verse 12. Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. <laughs> Peter, by his life, at least part of the time, told those Gentile believers that he accepted them. Romans 15, 7, accept one another just as Christ also accepted you. How did Christ accept you? As you were. Just the way you were. He didn't say... Go fix your life up, then come to me. How many people ever took a stray puppy dog and said, you know, you're probably underneath all that matty fur, you're a cute little dog, but uh, you've got fleas and ticks and you smell bad and your hair's matted, go get cleaned up. Come on back, we'll talk about it. Did you ever do that? <laughs> I did, but. <laughs> and then never came back. But most people will take that puppy dog in and say, man, I'll clean you up. I'll dip you. I'll get you trimmed. I'll get you clean. I'll put little foo-foo ribbons in your hair. Why do we do that? <laughs> to little boy dogs. <laughs> and we'd bring our poodle back from the groomer, and that's the first thing I'd do. Get those ribbons off of that little boy. We clean them up. See, that's how we came to Christ, isn't it? We said, here I am. Warts and all, fleas, ticks, matted hair, spiritually speaking. And Jesus said, come on in, I'll take you just the way you are. Now that's the way he accepted you. And the Bible says in Romans, you accept others the way he accepted you. Unconditionally. Open arms with grace. That's important. As Peter accepted those Gentile believers, we are to accept one another. Number four, 
Fear of criticism can be hazardous to a ministry. Fear of criticism can be hazardous to a ministry. Paul is so clear in this passage, he doesn't leave anything to... You know, sometimes Paul writes and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? But here it's just so clear. He just says, Peter, you're a hypocrite because you're living this way even though you believe that. And then it's very clear in verse 12, he was fearing the party of the circumcision. He was fearing what other people would say and think about him. Pretty clear, isn't it? Peter, why did you act like a hypocrite? Because you were afraid of what people would say about you. Because you so respected those leaders from Jerusalem. You're probably your old buds that came up from Jerusalem. You were afraid of what they were going to say. Fearing the criticism of others can be hazardous to ministry. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. Implication is, and he goes on to say, what we need to do is trust the Lord. See, who do you trust? Who are you concerned about what people say and think? Is it it what the one who's redeemed you thinks? Or is it what others might say and think? I'm not saying that that's not important. I'm not saying don't just forget what anybody thinks about you. That there's an important part of accountability that we have to put in the body of Christ, so that's important. But when you are so afraid of how somebody might uh, perceive you that you're not willing to do the right thing, then you got a problem. Peter, you're so afraid of what those religious folks are going to say about you. It's kept you from doing the right thing, and it's kept you from continuing to love those Gentiles. See, when you fear criticism, you're not willing to take risks in ministry. You're not willing to step out and and be the first one to show love, to show concern. When you fear criticism, you're not willing to fail and be misunderstood. You know, if I do that, they might not understand why I'm doing it. Well, if it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. When I was a brand new pastor, this happened after I'd only been at my very first church just a few weeks. I was, it was made clear to me by the ones in authority that we don't loan our furniture out to anybody. We had FBC on stuff, you know. We don't, First Baptist Church, we don't loan out to anybody. And a family came in need and they needed to borrow a table. And I was brand new in the ministry. I, you know, I was just, what do I do? I've got this new church who loves me who says, don't loan that table out. <laughs> and then here's some people in need. And I was telling the pastor friend of mine down the road, he said, Kevin, loan him the table. And I thought, that sounds so easy. He says, is it not the right thing to do? Loan him the table. So confession time. I loan him the table. So, um, because why? Because I decided that was more important than worrying about what other people were going to say about me. I don't do that kind of stuff here. <laughs> yeah, I could read your mind. That was way back, way back, (laughs) way back. Fear of criticism can be hazardous to ministry. It's always right to do the right thing. 
never too late to do the right thing. Number five, leaders influence others. John Maxwell defines leadership as influence. I went to a seminar, paid $200 to have him stand up and say, you want a definition of leadership? Here it is. Leadership is influence. That's a well-spent $200. Because leadership is influence. It's not so much what you've learned, how you apply, all this stuff that we're taught. Leadership basically is the fact that you are influencing others. Would you look at this with me again? Verse 13. After Peter is a hypocrite by pulling away from the Gentiles and saying, well, I'm not eating with Gentiles now because my Jewish friends are here. The rest of the Jews, verse 13, joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. He says, the great Peter has had so much influence that even Barnabas was swayed. I can see others being swayed by that, but Barnabas. See, leadership has influence. It's so easy for people to be led astray by your lifestyle. It's easy to lead them rightly by a consistent lifestyle, but it is so easy to lead them astray by an inconsistent lifestyle. See, the bigger rock, the greater the ripples in the pond. A few years ago when we had Coastal Oaks Christian School with 75 students in it, not quite as manageable as we have now, but there were seven, like 75, wasn't it? There were kids everywhere, every age. And lots of doors that were locked all the time. And if I had a key to every door, I'd have a big bulging pocket like that. So I discovered that with my little pocket knife, I could go to that door that was locked and I could kind of work and get in there, not have to run all the way over here and get a key. And so I did that all the time. And then one day, our school director came to me and said, Pastor, we caught some kids breaking into some classrooms. And I asked them, where did you learn to do that? told him not to say anything <laughs> I really didn't think it was that big a deal it saved me a trip down the stairs or somewhere to find a key just pop that little lock and get what I needed but little eyes were watching me and if you learn that little eyes have little mouths <laughs> I still don't know who it was that ratted on me but <laughs> But here's the more important truth. Those little eyes have little hearts. And they are watching us. They are impacted by how we live. You say, well, I'm not pastor of the church. I don't have very much influence. Well, somebody's watching you. It might be the cashier where you shop. It might be the neighbor. It might be a family member. And you're being watched. You are influencing someone. Can I plead with you? Let's walk the talk. 
Let's live what we say we believe. The Bible is so clear that when we do that, the world will be beaten on the doors to get in this place when we live what we say we believe. Pray together.